you know, at Vertex Innovations, you know, our show sponsor, one of our main roles is construction management. And we manage hundreds of vendors across the country and every state building these sites. And so I do have some, you know, current, inf- you know, information, my background too. I am a tradesperson. I bypassed college, went into the trades and went to college later in life, you know, so I do construction holds a dear, near and dear to my heart. I love working with my hands and I love seeing something come from nothing mm-hmm. to something as magnificent as a cell site and what it does for societies. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith and joined by my co-host, Dan McBall. Hey, Wayne. Hey, everyone. Great to have you back. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, This is part two of our series called The Life Cycle of a Cell Site. If you missed part one, uh, we covered the design phase of how cellular networks are implemented. Uh, Go back and check that out. Uh, Or not, you can always do it out of order. But uh, today, uh, we're going to tackle the construction phase of actually getting these cell sites and networks built. Um, So, you know, Wayne, you and I are are both um, pretty well versed in the whole process of these cell, cell site construction projects, but I think you have a little bit more, if not a lot bit more background in the construction side than I do. So uh, last time we, you kind of played the role of interviewer and um, let's swap today. Maybe I'll, I'll kind of ask you about the construction process. You can uh, tell us, uh, you know, how you see it rolling and, uh, and we'll go, we'll go that way. How's that sound? That sounds great. Yeah. You know, at Vertex Innovations, you know, our show sponsor, our, one of our main roles is construction management and we manage hundreds of vendors across the country and every state building these sites. And so I do have some, you know, current inf- you know, information, my background too. I am a tradesperson. I bypassed college, went into the trades and went to college later in life, you know, so I do construction holds a dear, near and dear to my heart. I love working with my hands and I love seeing something come from nothing. Mm-hmm. to something as magnificent as a cell site and what it does for society. So let's jump in. Awesome. Great. Well, maybe let's start off at the top. Kind of give us a sense for what what does construction mean? What are the types of trades, the type of construction work that it really takes to make a cell site happen? Yeah. And so as we spoke in the last episode, uh, you know, there's two, there's a, there's a various type of sites, right? And one of the things I think that would be easy to explain would be a raw land site or, a, you know, a, to- a tower site, if you will, which make up about, uh, you know, 30 to 40% of all cell sites. Uh, rooftops are another variation, but we'll talk about cell sites because it does, uh, you know, the tower sites, because it does highlight all the different trades involved and in, in what it takes to get something done. So 
once the site location is selected, you know, in a, in a raw land site, you know, one of the first pieces to that site is the civil work, you know, and what, what is civil work? Um, you know, civil contractors come in and build the road. It's that simple. A lot of these raw land, land sites don't even have road access. And so they are building access into the property of wherever that, um, the cell site location is. And so the first people on board a lot of times are the civil crews. They're prepping the site, doing the land work. Um, they're, uh, excavating to make sure that, you know, they have a good grade and they can set the pad area for the site. And, you know, being, if it's a tower, um, a lot of times there's caissons involved or, you know, the, it, it has to be drilled, tested, uh, in order to support the tower structure. Also there's in, in the civil side of it, um, is the concrete crews. You know, we need concrete there in order to set, have equipment pads, in some cases, foundation for shelters. There's a lot of different, you know, variations of what a macro tower site would be. Some of them have shelters, like a, it's a, maybe what, what is that 10 by 20 building that's pretty secure against the elements. And then in some cases we just use pads that set an outdoor BTS equipment on or cabinets. And, you know, both are used pretty commonly. It depends on you know, the architect and where you're at and what you're, what you're having there. But the civil crew's job is not only to drill that caisson, you know, and that's a, another construction crew. Normally there's specialty contractors that come in and all they do is drill those caisson holes to set the tower. Um, you have your concrete crews that, you know, finish the concrete. The caisson crew would also set the anchor bolts. Anchor bolts are really critical and for the tower structure. And you might know this better than me, but normally on a monopole, the caisson goes down. Is it a third of the, of the length of the tower? It's pretty, pretty deep, huh? Well, it just depends. I mean, I've seen, you know, my first job out of college, I was working in the Southeast part of the U S and, and we would go to set the foundation for a 200 foot monopole at sea level and you couldn't go that deep. You hit water at four feet. Right. So oh, wow. Yeah. So, that's cool. Um, so, and then, you know, you go somewhere else like the Rocky mountains and you know, you got granite, you ain't going, you ain't going, you know, a hundred feet deep, deep with granite. So it, it all is, you know, it depends. And that's where your architectural structural engineers come in and, and they work so close with, with the construction folks to deal with those anomalies and figure out unique ways to, to put the right kind of foundation. So yeah, it's, but yeah, you, you're right. If, if, you know, you're in the middle of Kansas, you can go, it, it can be a pretty deep foundation, I think. Yeah. And so once the concrete's there, you know, we also have, you know, the industry requires concrete break tests. So we have a testing company involved and their role is to come in and make sure that concrete meets the engineering specifications based on the structural analysis. I mean, if it's a high wind zone, that concrete may have higher tensile strength. So we have another specialty contractor involved just in the civil side of it. A lot of times when they're prepping the site, uh, a part that we haven't talked about much, but in for towers, they have a lot of grounding. And so the site has to be grounding for lightning protection. And a lot of times during that civil side of it, they'll trench and build the, and, and, uh, set the lightning rods and lightning protection all around the site. Uh, I think they're still doing it today, but any of those, that site external pieces, the fencing, the monopole, the shelter, 
all of that has to be grounded. And then that grounding has to be inspected and tested to make sure that it's the right ohms so that if a lightning strike did hit, it wouldn't destroy all the equipment. They're trying to direct it away from the site. So civil is a pretty, you know, pretty detailed piece of it. Um, and then I, we assume that the civil's done and that in the building or cabinets are ready to set, which brings us to the tower. Now you probably have more, a little bit more insight on how towers are done. I did mine in early careers. I think I built about, I don't know, 50, 70, uh, tower sites myself went back when I was a foreman working for a GC. But once you talked a little bit about the tower side of it and how it stood and that, that piece of it. Yeah, sure. So there's, there's really, um, at the end of the day, three basic types of towers. There's, um, self-support towers, which a lot of people probably envision when they think of a tower in their, in their mind's eye of, you know, it's a lattice kind of tapering shaped tower that has sections that are stacked on top of each other. Right. And so they might be like 20 foot sections. They set the base section and then they have to have a, a crane or a man lift of some sort that then sets the second section while they've got climbers up there bolting those sections together and then just keeps stacking the tower till they get to the top. Right. You talked about monopoles. Monopoles typically are going to be like a, a light pole, but just much thicker, much more stout. Um, same thing, they get stacked in sections as well, where they've got sleeves or whatever that they get connected together as it gets taller, but it's a pole, right? And um, any coax or cabling or anything is going up through the center of it versus a self-support, you would see that cabling and stuff exposed to the elements. And then the third type is a guy tower. So a guy tower, you see see those a lot more in really tall towers that can get upwards of a thousand feet. Uh, you see them a lot more in rural parts of the U.S. because they have, they're just a straight, non-tapered version of like a self-support typically, but they've got guy wires that are anchoring them as, it, you know, at different points. Um, and and so that requires a lot more land because you have to have all those anchor points that can be hundreds of feet out from the tower. And you can have, you know, you can have four, eight, 12, 16 guy wires depending how tall that tower is um and it's it's you know a, a whole different process because you're tensioning so those are the three basic types and um you know the way that those get built is again like cranes tower climbers on the pole and well we can get into it a little bit later but there's unique processes like gin poles where you have a basically a temporary tower that's attached to the first section of the tower that extends its height so that you can use that to help you set the second section and then you just keep moving that up the tower until the tower is done and then you take it back down. It's sort of like scaffolding, but it's attached to the the new tower you're building itself, right? Um, so, I mean, that's the basics. Um, and then you got all these different unique structures, right? You have water tanks and you've got, that's all, they're just all unique how you handle those. So, Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, you know, and we could talk about rooftops. I mean, it's a whole nother uh, animal too, but. I think what we're getting to here in the process is it depends. There's a lot of people involved and a lot of cross coordination amongst many different trades to, you know, accomplish one outcome. You know, um, I talked a little bit about, uh, you know, pre-manufactured shelter. In some cases that has to be built, you know, they're not, you wouldn't use a shelter It's not cost effective, or there's just a bunch of different reasons. So you have to have, you know, a carpenter crew come in and construct, construct the, the, the shelter side. So 
you know, what's, what's crazy. There's just a lot of different elements depending on the specific situation. Mm-hmm. Raw land sites are, you know, pretty easy. I, I think generally a three, you know, two to three month time frame for one of those sites. There's not a lot to deal with there. Uh, buildings could be six months, mm-hmm. you know, time they get through zoning, working with the municipalities and getting there. But other, other key elements to focus on is power. Every cell site needs power. And to one of your analogies earlier in our podcast, one of the, the previous is that everything's connected in the wireless world mm-hmm. and power is one of those important components. Now, I, I think, yeah, there's always that outlier, like way in the mountains, they may have a solar application with generation, you know, generated, but they still need power and a lot of power, right? Mm-hmm. Average cell site, what is that? 200 to 600 amps of power uh, in order to push that gear and uh, take the site. So power, you know, is, is what it is, you know, um, some rural locations that can be extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. E- even in some metropolitan areas, getting power is a long pole in the tent. You're working with, you know, you, the utility, whoever it is in that market, maybe they don't have transformer space. You know, if you've, I think everybody in the country's heard of the grid problems that the U.S. is having. The electrical power grid in the United States is kind of antiquated and it needs to have capital investment in order to rebuild out the utility power grid. And, you know, with cell sites today, what's interesting about it, we're talking about a raw line, land site, which is out there. But if we talk about small cells and other, that's a lot of power in a lot of locations really quickly. And so power is one of those, you know, and it's usually done, it, it can be done by uh, you know, a specialty contractor, it might be done by the general contractor who has the site, but a lot of that is trenching and, you know, what's involved in putting in power, uh, usually in case concrete from the right of way of where the power location is into the cell site location. So it's not super easy. You know, they lay, they lay conduit in there and a lot of times they mark it and they may pour concrete on top of it to make sure it's in case where it can't get cut. So they have good redundancy there, but power is a critical aspect of the construction process and then in the coordination of it, you know, you're now coordinating with the utility, which are not notoriously fast in <laughs> getting anything done. Right. Right. And you have to coordinate that with the delivery of the site. So power is another important one that requires, um, a lot of different trades involved. Mm-hmm. Sometimes do they, do you sometimes see power brought in like through aerial feeds, like power poles, utility poles? Yeah. Well, a a lot of, um, yeah. And a lot of the new small cell technology is powered, you know, in that way, a more cost effective instead of having transformer locations down. And so that a lot of the small cells, if you notice in some large cities, you look up, you might see a small cell hanging on an aerial between two spans. Hmm. You know, a lot easier to deploy. You're really not taking up uh, real estate per se, like on the tower itself or on a light bulb. And so there's a lot of new applications that are coming out that does, uh, you know, between spans being powered by utility pole that it comes in on. Okay. Got it. Yeah. What else? Uh, a, so, so power there, you know, and, and I think you're referring to that. I think that episode, we called it wireless needs wires, right? Yeah. You got to have, so, so there's more than power. That's a wired service we need as well. We've talked about that, right? 
Oh yeah. Next one up is fiber. And you know, um, why is fiber critical? Well, you know, it's the internet. I mean, it's the interconnectivity to the whole world at, at light speeds, mm -hmm. you know, wireless is fast, but not near the fat, the speed of data transmission is fiber. And so fiber is critical in, in today's modern not networks, even though years ago when you and I started, a lot of it was copper based plant. Mm -hmm. Nowadays is all, all fiber and, and fiber is one of those, uh, technologies that has its own set of specialty contractors or OSB contractors, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty easy if there's a fiber ring close to the location of where the site is. You know, then you can go there right away, pick yourself a meet me point and bring the fiber from there into the private land. Fiber is also, uh, the way it's done, a lot of times it's also prepped to the site as power is. And so you may see in a, in a single trenching ditch, or they may use a hydro bore. They do a lot of boring these days. And for you folks that don't know what hydro boring is, it's like a drill that drills under the earth and they pull through a plastic conduit and without disturbing the surface of the earth, it's pretty popular in a lot of areas because it reduced uh, restoration costs on cell sites, but that power in that, um, that fiber or telco, as we called it you know, two critical components, a lot of times fiber delivery depends on where it is. You know, it might have a six month delivery or longer, you know, mm -hmm. delivery to that site. So if you're a, you're a carrier trying to build a site, you have a contractor involved, you know, you're trying to coordinate that where power and fiber come together with construction in a reasonable time frame. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a shell game for sure. Trying to coordinate all these different trades and delivery of uh, of construction phases all to kind of coordinate and happen at the same time. It's kind of a a big puzzle, huh? Yeah, and then and so we've kind of covered the elements: the shelter, the civil, you know. Well, the well power. now, so now we've got a tower in the air. We've got yeah, that's the next phase. We've got right? a foundation. We've got a shelter. We've got power, we got fiber, but so are we done? Nope. Got the most important part. It's the interconnectivity of the line and antennas on the tower. And in today's world, you know, I think uh, for sure, and it, and it exists, there's a couple different types of antennas, you know. One, we have to have a GPS antenna, right, mm -hmm. for timing. And, and then you have your antennas for the different technologies and bandwidth. But... That is another critical piece of it. Now, a lot of that's moving to fi fiber. Some of the equipment's moving out of the shelter and onto the tower, like remote radio heads and different things like such. But the specialty crews, so, you know, in a, in a typical general contractor, you might, for a smaller mom and pop, you might have one crew that does both civil and the tower work. And a lot of now more modern construction companies they have a civil crew that comes in that then lays the foundation for the next crew, which is the tower crew. And that tower crew comes in and their role is to run that technology. If it's in a monopole, maybe in the center of the pole mm -hmm. or on the outside of the pole. And they have to, you know, and as they build that, it has to be done to engineering specifications, mm -hmm. whatever um, that carrier may be to certain decibels. And so there, it takes specialty contractors and tools. So let's talk about that for a minute. You know, 
Um, there's a lot of climbers out in the world. Um, and, but nowadays that's a man lift. So how do you build a tower? How do you do it? You need a crane and a man lift in order to successfully and safely build that, build that, build that site. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to build a lot of construction, large, heavy industrial construction equipment involved. We're getting tons of different, um, suppliers of it all. Very few companies have all those trades in house. And so it's a coordinated effort by that construction company to get the whole thing built. And the final piece is the line in town. You want to add anything to that? Cause well, I, think, I don't want to, I don't, yeah. I, don't I think the add. one thing I'll add is when I talk to, you know, people that find out what I do for a living and, and there, there's a common misconception I've heard from people that they think the tower is the cell site. And so I, I, I kind of take for granted the fact that there's really only one wireless technology that I know of in the world where the tower is the radio frequency transmitter, and that's AM radio. In AM radio, you have a bunch of towers that are the antennas, but everything else that we do in this world wirelessly, the tower is just a structure to get our antennas up in the air. And so the antennas are attached to the tower. And and so a lot of people, they don't even necessarily realize that. And so, yeah, it takes these line and antenna guys. They're the ones that are running the, the fiber or the coax up the tower. They're the one attaching those antennas. And when you're looking at a tower from the ground and you see those antennas up there, they don't, they don't seem like they're that big. But these antennas can be 8 feet long, 12 feet long. Um, they can weigh, you know, a hundred of pa- hundreds of pounds. Um, so it's not like these tower guys are climbing up and down the tower with these things on their backs, right? They have to they have to set up rigging where they've literally got like a wire relay that's you know got a winch on it that's basically pulling all of this heavy equipment up to the height they need to install it with the tower crews up there in a man lift or climbing to then fasten it, attach it, so on and so forth. So I, I guess that's what I would add is just you know helping people realize that um, that the cell site itself is is the antennas and the lines attached to these structures. Yeah. Very good point. Very good point. So, 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 so we kind of have a basic overview of all these steps in your experience. What are the long poles in the tent? Like what typically is the most likely trade or step we just reviewed that can cause the construction project to take the longest? What's the, the most difficult part of it? So, and you know, this is pay homage to my group for sure. I think project management this is where skilled project management, we don't talk about that as a trade in a sense, but it's one of the critical hubs to make these sites work because what they're doing in the background is coordinating the power, for instance, and that is a long pole in the tent. You know, does it exist? If it's there, how long is it going to take to deliver that? Along with power is the backhaul capability or fiber. And a lot of instances, fiber is a super long pole in the tent. It could be, you know, six to nine months on delivery and that may not work. So they may have to come up with another technology like microwave in order to get the site on air because the sites are built to, to utilize a license that was purchased by the carrier, if you would. Right. And that, and that is, that, that is, uh, a key indicator in the project management overall schedule of building to get that site on air, to bring that license and utilize that, that license that was purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't, I don't know, you know, we just a whole nother subject, but those licenses have a time state that there's a date on them when they have to be utilized. And, and so project management is the key piece to bringing all these things together. Um, one, one of the, uh, I think critical milestones in any project is a lot of people may have different words for it, but we use the word room ready. You know, what, what does that mean? It means that the site is ready, it has power. The inside of the site is built enough to have rack space and power distribution. That way that when the fiber is delivered, it can be turned up and turned on. And, you know, that room ready date is, a now the whole site may not be built at that point, but what that means in room ready is that we're ready to accept the fiber, test the fiber and do that interconnectivity to the site and, and it can stand on its own. Now we still might have to build the fence, put the finishing touches on the tower, you know, all kinds of other like tasks that are involved, but the room ready is, is the accumulation of those long poles in the tent. Mm-hmm. Cause you could build a great site and not have fiber mm-hmm. and it might sit there for four months. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you can build a, a great site and it has fiber, but no power and it'll sit there for four or five months. And that, you know, it's not a very effective use of capital. So those are, I think the two long poles of the tent until mm-hmm. the pandemic, <laughs> which, which then brought supply chain type issues. And it could be, you know, you're missing an antenna, you're missing the mm-hmm. GPS, you know, whatever the device Materials, is right? Coordination Materials. of all those pieces and parts that are, you know, fasteners, you name it, right? Thousands of parts. So that's, that's, that, those are a couple of the ones that stick out for me in the, in the critical milestone of that room ready date. Mm-hmm. And it signals that, hey, we're getting close, but we're not finished. Got it. So, so you, you've touched on a lot of these steps, you know, civil um, we didn't, we haven't talked a lot about rooftops, but you know, it's a similar process. It's just your trades are guys that have to be able to work up on the roof versus climb a tower, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah, I've seen rooftop sites in the middle of urban corridors where you got to shut down the street on a Sunday morning and bring in a crane or even a helicopter to drop the equipment up on the rooftop. Cause you can't shut down the street to get that crane to lift that heavy. Cause you're not taking that equipment up the stairwell of the building, right? <laughs> So, so it's a similar process, but you know, more specialty, right? And so let's talk a little bit about specialty skills. What are some of the highlights of specialty skills that some of these trades have to have that are, you know, we talked about concrete guys, but, but what other specialty skills, you know, do we see out there? Oh man, that, that's a big, but it also touches on a really big subject of the labor shortage in the wireless Mm -hmm. industry. I mean, right. So climbers, you know, um, that's really tough to have enough skilled, trained, safety training, let's, let's say that, climbers who can work on the site. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the, um, definitely where we have a shortage, our trained climbing personnel. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great safety, you know, companies out there that teach them. So when you think about climbers, you know, it's a, you, you know, you, you have to be fit. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy job going up 120 foot tower straight up. It's yeah, you have to be focused. And so there's a lot of vendors just to support the climbing industry itself. Mm-hmm. And then riggers, you know, we mentioned cranes. 
cranes are an integral part of building most sites, whether it's a rooftop or a monopole, you know, you're having crane operators out there setting, setting that, and you know, there's riggers, mm -hmm. you know, um, let's think, um, equipment operators, right? Like those, those skills and trades and like a man lift, I think a man lift pretty much mandatory on every site these days, isn't it? It's pretty yeah. common. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it reduces the amount of, of manual climbing. It's, it's quicker up and down just in case you do things, but learning how to operate that equipment and be satisfied, you know, and be safe, safe, safe on it. We talked a little bit about excavation, heavy equipment operators, which are always in a short supply. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you know, there's trenchers, there's loaders, there's backhoes, there's dozers. Um, also, you know, along with that, there's asphalt delivery or gravel dump truck drivers and delivery on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking that almost every type of construction trade is used here. A lot of the sites require welding. So you got to have specialized welders that come out. Uh, also metal fabricate fabrication is a, is a critical piece. We're building sites outside, so it has to be galvanized and has to withstand weather over a certain amount of time. So you have welders and machine fabrication involved. Um, the coax installation, it's a trade and it requires training itself mm -hmm. in order to install. Also the fiber, you know, fiber's great, but a lot of times it's not pre-made. And so you need to have fiber splicers in order mm -hmm. to terminate that fiber at the, pro, you know, the correct decibel and power reading. So it can be tested and it meets the network availability. Uh, other specialty kills, um, uh, skills, I mentioned project construction managers. So the difference between project manager versus construction manager, a lot of times, and I talk about it. It's one of the, the big things at our company is that project managers, you know, they're getting a the tiger by the tail on all of the trade. The construction manager is really specific experience working with and coordinating all those trades in the field so that it's built to the engineer drawing specifications. Mm -hmm. You know, a construction manager needs to make sure the grounding is done appropriately, needs to make sure that the anchor bolts are tight, you know, to a certain torque specificity mm -hmm. for the wind. Cause you know, towers do fall in different events. And so you have those two specialty uh, skills, which are in short supply right. as you can imagine right um what did i miss dan um hey i mean i think you kind of hit a lot of the big ones and and you know you talked about like those coax and fiber installers you know they these aren't just construction folks that test equipment is complicated high dollar you know it's it so these these guys are sort of where construction and engineering kind of meet right they have to have those those labor skills to do the physical part of the job and they have to have those you know um skills in terms of understanding the technology and how to test it and when it's right when it's wrong so that i think that's a unique one and then i think you talked about it you know a lot of these trades exist in other industries but the unique thing about tower climbers is they're doing the same things that other people do on the ground but they're doing it at heights in the elements I would say in my old company, the biggest reason we had new construction folks wash out, they knew all the skills, they knew how to weld, they knew how to do all these things, but you get them up at a hundred feet and they couldn't let go of the tower. Well, guess what? If you can't have your hands free and trust your gear to, to protect you 
and use your hands, you can't work. And that was probably the biggest reason we had guys wash out that were new to the industry was just applying their skills at heights in the elements. So I would say that's probably the most unique um, skill. Well, let's give a shout out to Nate. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about Nate because it's an integral part in our industry and they deserve some credit for what they've been able to accomplish. Well, for sure. So, you know, this talk, this talks to the safety element, right? And, yeah. and, and how safe is it or how dangerous is it to do this type of work? And it can be very dangerous if not done right. And if there's not a, a focus to detail and attention to, to doing things safely and making sure the folks doing the work have the, the right supplies, the right materials, and most importantly, the right training. And that training is not a one-time thing. It's a recurring thing. And so Nate is one of several organizations kind of in the industry that has a focus towards safety. Um, it's used the acronym NATE used, used to stand for North American Tower Erectors. And that's an, it's an industry trade organization that was born out of the folks that build towers for a living. And they really take a proactive role in terms of setting certification standards, testing standards, practices. Um, they send alerts out when there's, you know, recalls on safety equipment that is failing, you name it, they play a very active role. They work with the federal government and they work with a lot of the federal agencies that also have a responsibility to keep workers safe. And so they definitely play a huge role um, in the wireless industry. A lot of the, you know, construction workers that are doing this work, they have to go through a certification process where they hold a certification that's governed by the North NWSA, a subset of of Nate um, that basically says, yeah, this person is qualified and has been tested to know how to do this work safely. Um, you know, and then there's other organizations than you know, OSHA, um, Occupational Cell Safety and Health Administration, um, ANSI, ANSI, American National Standards Institute, um, TIA. There's all of these other organizations that set standards that say this is how you should work safely. These workers have to understand those standards. They have to comply with them and um, and, and they have to learn how to do things like how to rescue another tower climber. There was, I remember a case where there was a tower climber working. He hit a beehive, got stung by a bee, went into anaphylactic shock on the tower. And another climber had to climb up to him and rescue him and bring him down the tower to save his life. You have to be taught how to self-rescue, rescue yourself off of a tower when something goes wrong. Um, I mean, these it's uh, and we've talked about you know radio frequency health and other episodes. How to operate safely around transmitting devices and antennas so that you're not putting yourself at risk. So, shout out to to the workers that do this work, and shout out to the organizations that keep them safe. Um, huge, huge part of of this this aspect of the business. Yeah, you just triggered yeah you know, for me. You know, we, we're just talking about you know building a site right now, like new construction. Uh, I think one of the um, pieces of our industry is dude, there is a lot of ongoing modifications and maintenance to these sites. And so when we talk, there's a half, you know, and I I misquoted in the last episode, I think I went back, check my numbers. There's almost a half a million cell towers and cell sites in the country today. You know, I think I quoted somewhere around 300 grand, but you know, 500,000 sites that have to have maintenance. Those network elements, what's interesting about wireless technology is things that we did just five years ago no longer exist. 
new antennas, new utilization, the way the coax is done. So when we talk about trades, you know, we're talking about new construction and all the various components. I did think I see one of the times in the project management life cycle of a tower, you know, new roll-in site was about 700 to a thousand tasks that had to get done. And those are milestones along the design construction process. And so when we, when we talk about construction, construction doesn't stop with a new site build. It continues on and on and on and on. And, um, it takes a lot of trades to do it. One of the things I, I do, you know, want to highlight this close and near dear to my heart that paved a great way for a future for me and my family is working in the trades. You know, um, I, I'll, I, I'm going to read one of Mike Rowe. He is an advocate for the trades and learning what the trades are. And you and I just highlighted like 25 or 30, maybe more specialty trades. And I think I, I admire Micro for what he's trying to do and bringing the trades in. It gives a sense of accomplishment. But here's one of his quotes. In a very general way, our society has fallen out of love with the skilled trades. Part of the problem is mirrored of myths and misconceptions that surround the jobs themselves. But the biggest cause is their stubborn belief that a four-year degree is the best pass for most people. Micro. And why do I bring it up? These jobs that we're talking about and these trades, they, it takes years of, of experience to get really good at these skills. And, you know, it's a little bit of aspect of every type of trade you can think of to build wireless or telecommunications technology sites. And, and, it, and it is a critical skill. If you, if you take a step back and 10,000 plain view, these trades are building a way for you and me to communicate with our loved ones and society to interconnect in ways never thought of before. So yeah, I have a passion for the trades and now I mean to get on my soapbox, <laughs> but, but it, it, it's, it's a great career and it allows you to learn so many different things. Yeah. For that's, sure. that's, that's my basis, right? I learned all these different trades and it's carried, it went, you know, it stood the test of time in business. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's so much buzz about things like AI right now. Right. And, uh, it'll be, it'll be a lot longer down the road before we see the physical labor required to build something like a cell site replaced by technology. It still requires human hands to make these things yeah. happen and it will for a long time, if, if not forever. So, well, this is, I think, and I think you're touching on, you know, we may do another version, another ser uh, episode in this series about what happens once the site's built and that'll probably be the next next one we'll we'll talk about now what what happens after it's built in terms of ongoing maintenance and modifications to the network so um i think this uh, is a, like operations and system performance and their roles in it yeah they have two big roles in it yeah so tune in next week um for the the third part of the series and um, the life cycle of a cell site great overview wayne thanks for tapping into your expertise on the construction side and um you know it's a it's a big part of the uh, the process for sure yeah thank you dan i love talking about it it's a passion of mine and uh if any any listeners out there man we love you trades people and and, and the people who do the you know <laughs> it's a, it's a collective group man we're making something happen for everyone well just like us if it wasn't for you the construction guy and me the rf engineer coming together mm -hmm. uh the, the podcast wouldn't be the same so 
Thanks for joining us, everyone. As always, check us out at 5gguys.com. Until next episode, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family. 